All right. Hey, welcome to River Church. Glad that you are here. Uh, if this is your first time here, thrilled that you're here. If you're here every week, also glad that you're here. So uh, my home group this week has been reading Psalm 46. Uh, and then when we read it, we kind of text each other and say what we learned. And uh, you may not have heard of Psalm 46. It may not be kind of high in your uh, psalms that you may know or Bible verses that you may know. You may not know any Bible verses. But there's a verse from it that you may be familiar with. And it says this, God says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And so as I've been reading it this week, what has really stood out to me from this psalm is in the midst of this psalm, there's all this chaos going on. It talks about the mountains trembling and the earth shattering. It talks about the oceans frothing and all these things, the foaming up. And then so it's the psalm, and then you get to this one point, and it says, and be still and know that I am God. And I think that psalm is very characteristic of our lives because there's so much that goes on in our lives. There's all this craziness and busyness and overwhelmingness that goes on in our lives. And then we come on a Sunday morning and we have this be still and know that I am God moment. And my hope is that every time that you come to River Ridge, that you have that moment to pause and to be still and to know that God is God. And that might come at a time of worship, in the moment of worship, where you just you feel that peace coming over you. That could come sometimes through the message, depending on what the topic is, where you feel that be still and know that I am God. Or it may come after the service. Every Sunday after the service, we have a prayer team that's up here. And maybe you've just been going through a rough time all week, And you just need to remember to be still and know that God is God. And you may come and say, hey, could you pray for me? You can share as much or as little of your story as you want with them. And they'll pray for you and that God's peace would come over you. And I just wanted to kind of bring that to mind to remind us that when we come before God, he can give us that peace and that stillness, even though the world around us is just going crazy, crazy, crazy. So let's pray together. God, thanks so much for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to be in your presence. And God, as we look into your word, I pray that you would teach us. God, I know, I believe that you have something to say to each one of us this morning that's very specific. Um, And I pray that we would be in tune to hear what that is for us this morning. ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have not been here the last two weeks, we are on week three of this series titled Be Rich. Uh, And basically what we're talking about in this series is how do we live richly in relationship to our money, our stuff, our possessions, our time, live richly in a relationship to other people? How do we live richly? And what we've looked at is that maybe God, and asking this question, maybe God has given us more than we need so that we can bless others. Or maybe God has given us more so we can do more for other people. And so each week we've started, and we'll do this this week and next week, we start with 1 Timothy chapter 6 as our jumping off point. It says this, as for the rich in this present age, charge them. Or as for the rich in this present age, your version may say, teach them. And then what follows are instructions to those of us who are rich. And he's talking about rich in this present age, or so rich financially, and that is all of us probably all of us in this room, if you make more than $40,000 a year, then you are rich. You are in the top 1% of people in the world. 
And so the first one we talked about, there's a benefit or a good news about being rich in the sense that we get to enjoy the blessings that God gives us, but there are also some pitfalls. There are some problems that come uniquely to those who are rich, and so we talked about that on the first week. And then last week we said uh, this from 1 Timothy 6.18. It says, they, and the they is us, you, us, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And so last week we talked about the second half of this verse, that we're to be generous and ready to share. Uh, and we talked about this idea that God wants for us that we would be cheerful givers. He doesn't want us to give begrudgingly or stubbornly or with a, a cold heart. He wants us to give generously. And so we talked about eight ways that we can become more generous, moving from a I have to to an I want to type of attitude. And so if you missed either of those, I encourage you to go back and listen to them from last week or the week before. But I want to read this 1 Timothy 6.18 to you again, and it says this, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And in that, it says that we're both to be rich in good deeds and also be generous and willing to share. And as I think about that, I think sometimes we pick one or the other, rich in good deeds or generous financially. I was talking um, to a friend, this is probably 10, 12 years ago, and the friend was talking about uh, another church, not our church, and they said about this other church, they said, at that church, all you have to do is give a lot of money, and then you don't have to serve at all. I'm like, did they really say that? I don't think they really said that. I hope that was not true. But the sentiment was, and that this person was expressing, is like, hey, over there, if you just give money, then you don't have to serve, and then they pay people to do all the things that people in a church could do. But you see, for those of us who are rich in this present age, rich in this present world, that's us, that it's not an either-or type of thing. It's a both-and thing. It's not because, well, I give a lot of money, so I don't need to serve. By the same token, we can't say, well, you know, I serve, I give a lot of my time, therefore, I don't need to give financially to God's work. It says those who are rich in this present world will both give generously and they will serve. They will do good. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. Now, when we talk about doing good, I think sometimes we think in, in kind of a similar way about money. So we talk about generosity. Most people say, I would love to give to God's work, or I'd love to give more if I had more, but I just don't have very much. And they kind of you talk about that. And the same happens when it comes to serving or when it comes to doing good. People say, I would love to serve. I'd love to go help here, go help there, but I just don't have enough time to do that. But think about this in terms of, again, the comparison. I would say that we have more time than we realize. If you look at the hours in a week, right, if you work 60 hours a week, right? Maybe you work 60, maybe you work a little bit less, but let's say you work 60 hours a week, and then let's say that you get eight hours of sleep a night, which I know is not true by looking at you because some of you don't look like you got eight hours last night anyway, but let's just assume that you got eight hours of sleep every night. That would leave you with 52 hours in the week to do something else. That's a lot of time. 
And even as I read that statistic this week, or it's brought to my mind, I'm thinking, where in the world do my 52 hours go? Because it sure doesn't feel like I have 52 hours of spare time when I take out work and when, when I take out sleeping. But we have 52 hours. And so the question is, where does that go? And so we're going to talk this morning about putting some of those 52 hours towards what Paul writes to Timothy here in doing good. But before we do that, we need to get something absolutely positively straight. Because if we get this wrong, if we get this twisted, it messes up the whole thing. And here's what I want to get straight. And I gave it to you on your outline. I'm going to have you fill in a couple words just so that all of us remember this and we have it all straight. Because again, if we don't get this, if we get this backwards or wrong, it messes everything up. And it's this. We're not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. I may say that again. We are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. This is how Paul put it when he wrote to the church at Ephesus. This is Ephesians chapter 2. Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So Paul writes very clearly that we are not saved. We don't go to heaven. We're not justified before God based on our good works. We are justified or we are made right before God by faith. That we place our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. It doesn't matter how good we are or how bad we are for that matter. That doesn't get us into heaven. It is by faith that we have salvation. You know, and an errant view that sometimes people have about life and how God works in the Bible and stuff like this, and it's, it's not right, but the way that sometimes people look at it and say, it's like there's these big kind of cosmic scales, like these big spiritual scales, and, and over on this side, we put down, we put all the things that we do wrong, end up on this side of this two-sided scale. And over here, it's like, you know, cheating and lying and looking at bad stuff and swearing and kicking your dog and cheering for pit, like all those things are on the bad side, right? And then over here on the good side, we put all the things that we do that are good. We go to church. We volunteer and on the parking team. We read the Bible. We pray. We help out with homeless people sometimes. We let other people in in traffic. We put all the good things here. And if the good outweighs the bad then we go to heaven. But that's not God's plan. Although that's probably the way that, I don't know, 70, 80% of the people in America think, or more perhaps. It's this cosmic scale, but it's not a cosmic scale. What we read is that for you have been saved through faith, not by your works. And so as we talk about works, we have to get that right at the beginning, because otherwise this message goes really wrong, and we think, oh, I need to do these things to earn my salvation. No, your salvation is secure when you place your faith in Christ. And I would encourage you, if you're here this morning, and you have not placed your faith in Christ, you've been kind of looking at this cosmological scale kind of thing, and say, I'm, I'm at church, I'm trying to do the right thing, I'm going to stop doing some bad things, get some stuff off of that side of the scale. That doesn't work for salvation. Salvation comes by placing your faith in Christ. And if you don't know that, 
make that decision today. If you have questions, I'd love to talk to you afterwards about that. So then the very natural question that comes after that is, well, if it's not about doing good works in this cosmological scale, then why do we do good works? Well, this is the very next verse. Verse 10, it says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It says that we were created as God's workmanship for good works. And it says that God created the work that we're going to do even before us. It's interesting, the order is sort of switched around there. That God says, these are good things that I want to happen on this earth that I have created. These good things, I want somebody to do them. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a person with their gifts and their abilities and their talents to step into these good works that I've created. And so every one of you are God's workmanship. You are God's craftsmanship. He made you the way that you are because he has things that he wants you to do. The skills that you have, the personality that you have, the talents that you have, the emotions that you have, all of that, he knit you the way that you are because he wants you to step into this awesome thing. But then the question is, well, how do we know what that awesome thing is? And so part of the fun, part of the joy, the excitement of living the Christian life is figuring that out. Say, God made me this way, so what is the thing that God wants me to do? Or what are the things throughout my lifetime that God wants me to do? And so what we're going to do is we're going to look, I'm going to give you four principles that will help us to see the good works that God has for us. I'm going to give you four principles. So here's the first one. My good deeds are a sample of Jesus. My good deeds are a sample of Jesus. <clears throat> How many of you have ever been to Sam's Club on a Saturday? Yeah, like that's, it is sample galore there. Like you go and they just give you all kinds of samples. And I, I mentioned last week that earlier when we had four kids and one income, we were kind of cheap, you know, and frugal, I guess would be a better word. But we would go to Sam's and we're like, all right, guys, it's buffet time for our four kids. Go get some lunch. You know, and we go up to the different people, like in different combinations, as though they wouldn't kind of figure it out. You know, like all six of us, and we're taking a chicken cordon bleu sample, right? And then we go somewhere else, and then we'll send like Emily with uh, Ben back to go get you know some more chicken cordon bleu. I mean, we would we would work the system, and then but but because I'm honest, we would then leave, and we would buy like 48 rolls of toilet paper on the way out. You know, but you think about that, right? They give you the samples at Sam's. Why? Because they want you to buy the whole thing, right? They give you a little sample of chicken cordon bleu because they want you to buy the 24-pack of chicken cordon bleu, right? Or whatever it is, they give you the samples because they want you to buy into or get the whole thing. And obviously it works because they keep doing it and the sands keep freeloading. But Jesus said something similar to this. Listen to this. This is Matthew chapter 5. He said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. You see, Jesus says that you are a light of the world. You're like a lamp. Set it where people can see. Don't put it under a basket, but put your lamp, put yourself, your good deeds where people can see it, right? 
so you are a sample of, listen to this. This is John chapter 8. And Jesus spoke again to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, we're a small lamp, and we go somewhere and we light up what's around us, and we make the world around us better. But Jesus is the light of the world. He takes people and he can allow them to walk in the light. Instead of walking in darkness, they walk with him in the light. But you see, here's the thing is we can do some pretty neat things to be a light in the world around us. You know, we, we can feed the homeless. We can volunteer and help kids with their homework. We can make coffee on a Sunday morning. We can be on the worship team. We can hold babies in the nursery. We can do all these different things. But what we can't do is we can't provide salvation to anybody. I can be a little bit of a light here and help people a little bit, but I in no way can be anybody's salvation, and neither can you. But what we do is we point to the light. We point to the salvation. As we are just a sample, we do good in people's lives so that they can get the ultimate good of a relationship with Christ. If you were here back in August, we did a series called uh, Who is Your Neighbor? And we talked about just being good neighbors, loving the people around us. And then we collected some stories called string stories, and we kind of have a piece of art in the lobby representing that. And we asked people, hey, how did you love your neighbors? And I want to share with you a story that somebody wrote back to us. And she said this. She said, there's an elderly widow that lives near me. She is too old to do her own landscaping, so I have been doing her weeding. Our friendship has grown, and I invited her to play dominoes with my mother and I. I check on her from time to time to see if she needs anything. And I read that story, and I can't help but think, you know, if Jesus lived where this woman lived, next to a a woman who can't do weeding, who needs help, I think that Jesus would do exactly what she's doing. That Jesus would go next door, and he would weed her garden for her. Right? And he'd say, hey, why don't you come over and play dominoes with me? James and John and Bartholomew, they're coming over. Judas is coming over. He kind of cheats a little bit, but why don't you come over and play dominoes with us? Like, I think that's exactly what Jesus would do. And we have that opportunity every day to just be a little bit of a light as a sample of the bigger light that people can have. And then what follows in Matthew 5 is this. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, here's the next principle. Is my good deeds point to God, not to me? That the good deeds that we do, it's not about people looking at me going, Matt, you are so kind, you are so helpful, you are so... It's not about that. It's not people looking at us. That we want people to see God. We do these things, this little light stuff, to point to the bigger light, to point to the fact that God wants a relationship to the Father who is in heaven. You know, many of you know uh, Betsy Schock. She is actually leading our team in the Dominican Republic this week. Um, But if you know Betsy, she is absolutely just full of like hugs and talking about God and more hugs and just, I mean, she's just 
this light in all kinds of ways. And so she uh, leads our ministry on the west side uh, and helping to coordinate volunteers and doing stuff at the 2nd Avenue and some other places. And, and she just does that with such beauty. And she just does it the same way with no matter who it is. And so um, over the summer, there was a guy who came. And he said, hey, I'd like to help with kind of a construction type of project. And so, and so Betsy's talking to him like the same way she would talk to anybody about, you know, God loves these kids and we get to serve them and giving hugs and all that kind of stuff. And so the guy um, says to Betsy, says, you know, just so you know, like I'd like to help with this project, uh, but, but I don't go to church and I'm not even really sure if I believe in God. You know, and Betsy at that point probably gave him a hug or something like that. Um, so, oh, help out I mean, that's just Betsy's way, Right. Well, fast forward a few months, um, and this guy shows up at River Ridge Church. And we don't, I don't know what his story is going to be, and who knows what will happen. But he says to me, and he says to Betsy as well, he says, I had kind of given up on God, but I saw something different in you that made me think that maybe I should check this God thing out more. You see, when we do good deeds... It points people to God. But, but here's a question for us, and, and this is, I'm not sure I had the perfect answer to this. I think when we do good things in the community, people will often say, man, thank you so much, and then fill in the blank, whatever it is. Thank you so much, Kim or Bob or Stacy or Matt or Fred or whatever it is. Thanks so much for doing that. And we go, well, we know that we're doing what we're doing. We're loving, we're doing good deeds. We're loving and serving our community because we want to point people towards God, not because I want to get thanked or not because I want the glory. And so how do we respond to that? And, and here's a, a possibility, and I don't know this is the perfect answer, but I think we say something like, you know, thanks for noticing uh, what I've done, but I, I don't do it for me. I do it because God has been gracious to me, and I want to be gracious to other people. Or we say, I, I, I don't do it for me. I do it because God has loved me. And this is just a simple way that I can love other people because how God has loved me. And maybe that's a way to point back to our Heavenly Father, who will see our Heavenly Father and glorify Him in heaven. Here's the next principle. My good deeds will go the extra mile. My good deeds will go the extra mile. The expression of going an extra mile is probably familiar to many of us. It's actually something that Jesus said in a particular historical context. He said this, If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And the historical context was this. At this time, Israel is under occupation by the, by the Romans. And so there were certain laws that were on the books that the Romans could require the Jews to do in terms of kind of lording it over them. And one of those laws said that if a Roman soldier approached a Jewish person, then they could make them carry their bags or their armor or whatever it is they want, he'd carry it for one mile. But that was all. At the end of one mile, they had to stop. And it actually wasn't one mile. It was actually a thousand steps. So after a thousand steps, they could just put it down and go back to their own business and the soldier would have to carry it the rest of the way wherever he was going himself. And so Jesus comes along, he says, if someone, and they're all thinking a Roman soldier, if someone forces you to go one mile to take a thousand steps, do that. But then take it another thousand steps. And so 
picture this. Imagine that you've heard this and you're following Christ at this point in time. And so, and you're, maybe you're watching this. And so a Roman soldier comes up and says, hey, you, carry my bags. And so the Christian picks up the bags and begins to walk and begins to walk. Now, the Roman soldier is going to be counting steps in his head because he wants to make sure that he gets the full thousand steps out of this person and doesn't have to carry it the rest of the way himself or any farther than he has to. And you can kind of picture there's a Christian who's carrying the bags and the Roman soldier's counting in his head 998, 999, 1,000, 1,001, 1,002. And he's counting in his head, and you wonder, how high does he count in his head over 1,000 before he says something to this Christian who's carrying his bags? But does he wait till, you know, 1,100, 1,200? But at some point, he asks the guy the question, he goes, are you bad at math, or did you realize, not realize that we passed a thousand steps? Why are you still carrying my bags? When does the Christian talk to the Roman soldier about Christ? Is it in the first thousand steps, or is it in the second thousand steps? It's absolutely in the second thousand steps. And so Jesus says to us, if someone says, go one mile go two miles. That means for us that we go the extra mile of doing good. We go the extra mile of serving. We serve above and beyond what's expected of us. You know, we have a, a family um, here at the church, and I won't mention their names, and I didn't even ask them for permission, um, who foster kids. And so they have two biological kids of their own, and then they uh, fostered and then adopted a little boy who's probably about five at this point in time. Uh, and then the adoption agency or the, the foster care CPS called and said, hey, would you look after this other little one? And so they have another three-year-old with them. Uh, and then the, they called him again about probably four weeks ago and said, we have a, a teenage girl, 12 years old. She needs a place to go. Will you take her? They said, yeah, we'll take her. And she was at their house for about... 24 to 48 hours, uh, and then they put her somewhere else. But they loved Hunter in that time. And then they called about a week and a half ago and said, we've got a, a two-year-old. Would you take this two-year-old? And they took the two-year-old in. And when I think about going the extra mile, I think about this family. Because I think for most people, like just raising kids is the first mile, right? Fostering, adopting kids, that's the second mile. And they're on like, I guess they're third mile, fourth mile. And I just love that as I think about what does it look like to go the extra mile. Here's the final principle. My good deeds bring me closer to God. My good deeds bring me closer to God. You know, sometimes when we talk about serving, we think that serving needs to be hard and difficult and painful. And if I have any enjoyment on it, then I must not be serving the right way. But in fact, the opposite is true is that God wants us to serve in a way that's life-giving for us. If we go all the way back to where we started with 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says, be rich in good deeds, be generous. And then the end of that little section says this, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You see, that 
Serving is to be life-giving. You know, life is not found by living selfishly. Life is not found by just living for me, 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 and put myself first. The true life is found when we put others first. And he says that. He says that, that may, they may take hold of that which is truly life. You see, you are God's workmanship. God put you together just in the right way, just how you are. And when you serve and when you do good based on how God has made you, that's where life comes from. You know, I talk to people all the time around River Ridge who love where they're serving. And they say, and I say, thank you so much for serving. And they're like, you're welcome, but it is a privilege to serve because I am filled up with it because they found that place that is life-giving. Now, is it hard sometimes? Yeah. Does it require sacrifice sometimes? Yeah. Is there a lack of thankfulness or gratefulness from people? Yeah. But ultimately, when we serve the way that God has wired us, it is life-giving. And that brings us closer to God. Let me give you two applications. And uh, before I give this, these to you, this, sometimes when I do applications, I say, hey, here's three applications. Just pick one and go for it. Here's two applications or four. Pick one and go for it. I'm going to give you two applications, and I'm going to challenge you, encourage you that you would do not one or the other, but that you would do both of them. Here's the two applications. Have a plan for good works and have spontaneity for good works. So having a plan for good works means that you have a regular way that you serve, either inside River Ridge or outside River Ridge, but that you have a regular way that you do good works. Every Monday you're doing this. Every second Saturday you're doing this. Every second and third Sunday you're doing this. But that you would have a plan for doing good works. But also that you would have a spontaneity for doing good works. In other words, that, there would be, that you would be open to the Holy Spirit leading you, that he would prompt you to say, oh, do this good deed here. Do this act of love here. Care in this way. Because I think sometimes what happens is many of us fall on one or the other. Well, I have a plan or I'm spontaneous. You know, and I think people have a plan, and I, and I tend to be that way. You know, I'm like, okay, this is the way that I serve. You know, and so for me, my serving plan is that every Thursday afternoon from 2.15 to 3.15, I serve at the 2nd Avenue Community Center. Right? And so I sit down with a, a table full of kids and I help them with their homework. Right? And they have story problems. They have problems like this. If Miguel can ride his bicycle around the building and it takes him four minutes, and Miguel rides his bicycle for 20 minutes around the building, how many times will Miguel go around the building? Does anybody know the answer? Shout it out. Five. All right. If you answered five, I will see you Thursday. 215 Second Avenue Center. You are, you know, um, and I love to serve. That is my planned serving. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes the kids are not very receptive. Sometimes it's craziness down there. Sometimes I got to leave something that I'm in the middle of to go down there, and then I come back to it. But it's planned. I know it's there every week. But because I'm a planned kind of person, the whole spontaneous serving I'm not as good at that, right? I'm like, I serve, I do, you know, my job in some ways 
with being the pastor over his church, his ministry, it's serving. And so I don't always kind of look around for those opportunities. So if you're someone who plans a lot, look around for opportunities. But if you're someone who's more spontaneous, you say, well, you know, when God lays something on my heart, I'll serve. And you kind of do that and you're a hero. And it's like, wow, here's a big thing and lay it on my heart. I would challenge you and encourage you to serve in a planned way. And I want to help you to do that. We set up a text number. Uh, it's on the screen behind me, 304-605-2677. And if you're not serving on a regular basis, if you don't have a plan for how you're serving, we want to help you to do that. And just text that number, text the word do good, don't put a space in there, do good, one word, and then you'll get a little form back that'll help you to see where you can serve. If you have Verizon, you have to wait till you get home because Verizon sucks here. Um, or if you want to donate $30,000, we'll put up a Verizon tower for you. But that'd be last week's message. Um, but do you have a plan? And for those of you that do have a plan, are you looking for spontaneously? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit and how he leads you? I've been trying to do this better in my life. Uh, back in August, we were thinking a lot about the neighborhood stuff. And so I... Um, you know, I was, I was walking on campus at UC, and I, I saw a guy that I know, and we talked, and he had just been through kind of a divorce situation, and uh, he just needed to talk. And the way that I did good is I just listened. For about 10 or 15 minutes, just listened to him and share the frustrations that he was having. I didn't give a whole lot of counsel or prayer or anything like that. I just, that was my doing good. Last Sunday, I was uh, leaving here. I was driving my wife's car. And, uh, and I wanted to fill it up with gas for before I got back home. So I went to the 7-Eleven down near the Capitol, filling the car up with gas. I go inside uh, to get a, a two-liter of Coke. And um, as I was going in, there was a guy holding a sign that said, please help or anything help, something like that. Um, and I went in and I got the two liters. And as I'm walking back to, the, to pay for it, I pass like this little cooler of sandwiches. And the Holy Spirit just sort of, prompted me and said, you're getting a Coke for yourself? Get a sandwich for this guy. So I got two liter of Coke, got the sandwich, checked out, paid for it, and then went over and said, hey, I saw your sign. If this helps, love to help you, bless you in this way. And he took it and was grateful for it. And as I was leaving the 7-Eleven, he was there eating it. I should have 20 of those stories or 30 of those stories. Those are kind of the two that come to mind. I want to be a person who listens. I've got my head up. I'm looking for where I can do good, but I'm also listening to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I want to close by doing something a little bit differently. Um, if you would just close your eyes, and I want to read to you a story about Jesus. It was just before the Passover festival Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked. 
You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. What is the Lord laying on your heart this morning? Is he calling you to start serving in a planned kind of way? Is he telling you to start listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit to do good, to keep an eye out for it? Is he telling you to go the second mile with somebody? Maybe he's reminding you to serve for his glory and not your own. Or maybe he's telling you that you are a sample of God's grace and love to a dark world. Or maybe he's calling you to stop trying to be good enough to earn your way into heaven, but instead to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. 